In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and I'm here with Patricia Murphy, our political insider columnist, to chat about this week, this abbreviated week in Georgia politics. Patricia, thanks for joining. Good morning, Greg. So we're taping this right before Thanksgiving, um, right before a, uh, a few days off for us. Do you guys have any fun plans? Let's see. Well, we're working today, and I haven't gotten much past that. (laughs) My mom makes Thanksgiving turkey, thank goodness. So my planning is minimal. I just have to get myself and my children dressed um, and there. So that's all I really have to do, which is wonderful. I will be attempting to run the half marathon early Thursday morning. um, where the I love it. Looks like it's 30 degrees. I did it two years ago. It was great, but um, I haven't trained quite as much this year. And then we're heading to a giant indoor water park for a couple of days. Oh. <laughs> now that the kids are vaccinated, we're like, oh, we're just going to go. I'm uh, giving thanks that I'm not going to an indoor water park this Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. They're, they're very excited. We have both the kids' birthdays back to back. So and that's what they want to do. So we're like, okay, here we that's go. Awesome. You're a good dad. <laughs> well, uh, it was it's usually the week before Thanksgiving is a pretty quiet week, but we've had, we've had some drama. Um, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, we talked about the mayor's race and the other Politically Georgia podcast, which you can check out, but we'll, we'll talk about redistricting here because, look, we, we've, this wasn't a surprise. We've been reporting it was likely for months, but Lucy McBath made it official like two minutes after uh, the House put the final touches on the redistricting map. There will be a suburban showdown against Carolyn Bordeaux. She is jumping from the 6th District to the 7th District much friendlier territory after Republicans drew the 6th District to be basically impossible for any Democrat to win this cycle. Um, and so there's going to be a pretty if, – if Carolyn Woodrow stays in the race, which she told you she definitely will, there will be a pretty sharp contrast between those two women, those two de- rising Democratic stars in the suburbs. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they if you look at their voting record, um, their voting records are really identical, but the path that those women take to get to their voting records is really different. And we really mm-hmm. saw a distinction over the summer between Carolyn Bordeaux, who joined a group of moderates to slow down um, one of the Democrats' biggest pieces of legislation, which was that $3.5 trillion social spending bill. Um, she wanted the roads and bridges bill to move forward. 
faster than that. That bill has now passed. Um, but Carolyn Bordeaux got a lot of complaints from progressives, including some progressives even in her district, that they didn't want her to do that. They wanted her more solidly behind the Biden agenda, in their opinion. Um, Lucy McBath didn't travel that path. She was uh, relatively quiet on the timing of each bill, but very supportive of both. Um, and so that's going to be a distinction on that piece of the policy. And then just their styles are very different. Lucy McBath has a very um, tragic personal story that animates a lot of what she does on gun safety. Carolyn Bordeaux is very sort of by the numbers, by the books, very wonkish. And then of course, Carolyn Bordeaux has been in the district uh, representing it for this term. So I think there'll be some real contrasts, even though they're both Democrats. Yeah, and the, both of them ran for office, ran for Congress in 2018 um, as political newcomers. Lucy McBath, as a, a gun rights advocate, as you mentioned, was was motivated to run by the the, the tragic death of her teenage son um, uh, Jordan Davis down in Florida, um, and, and Carolyn Bordeaux running as as basically as a centrist policy wonk, <clears throat> as a um, you know as a former state senate budget official who um, was trying to flip the swing district in Gwinnett County, which back then was Gwinnett and parts of Forsyth, uh, very deep red Forsyth, and what was considered when it was drawn pretty solidly Republican Gwinnett County. Um, And it was Lucy McBath who won the biggest victory of of any Democrat in Georgia in 2018 by flipping the 6th District, which stretched from East Cobb to North DeKalb, whereas Carolyn Bordeaux narrowly loses, narrowly loses to Rob Woodall and almost immediately um, announces that she's running again after Rob Woodall um, st- decides to step down. And she wins in 2020. It was the only Democratic flip of any U.S. House seat um, in the nation this past cycle. It was, it was a rare bright spot for Democrats in an otherwise pretty bleak US, uh, U.S. House map around the country in, in 2020. So both of them basically entered politics around the same time. But as you mentioned, you know, Carolyn Bordeaux's um, centrist views, her centrist approach, I should say, you know, they, they, they helped her tremendously, I think, in a general election in that swing district, help, help, you know, attract middle of the road voters, independents, swing voters. But that same, that same tendency will, could be a liability in a democratic primary in a district that was redrawn to be overwhelmingly liberal. I mean, this district goes from, from that, it sheds that Forsyth County part that I that I mentioned as as, as hyper Republican, and instead uh, co- consolidates Gwinnett territory and has a por- portion of Fulton County that is also left leaning. Yeah, so Republicans in the state house have done somewhat of a favor to uh, Democrats in Gwinnett, and that that's going to be really safe territory for them for a long time. And they've had to work a lot and spend a lot of money to win that district in the last two cycles. Um, So they're not going to have to do that. But the trade-off for Democrats is now that they just, I really don't think they can win in that sixth district the way it's drawn right now um, for the next several cycles. They've drawn it to be so Republican and conservative. It would just be hard for any Democrat to have a fighting chance. And any Democrat who is ambitious um, wants to go into a race where they have a chance and they believe they could win. And that's why Lucy McBath is switching over to that new territory. Um, What it really does to the Democrats, though, is that it takes these two rising stars, these two kind of giant killers, the good news story for Democrats in Georgia after winning the Atlanta suburbs 
and really turning that into blue territory, um, that's just not going to be the case anymore. And Democratic voters are now going to have to choose between Lucy McMath and Carolyn Bordeaux. Um, you know, these two women who are um, have had a lot of success recently, but only one of them is going to get a seat in Congress. And um, that's a real loss for Democrats. And I, you know, Democrats, of course, are very upset at the process, but they're going to have to make some choices here nonetheless. Yeah, some big, some big choices. Um, and we've been previewing those choices for a while because it seemed very, very likely that Republicans would try to change at least one of these districts, if not both. And, you know, some Republicans were quietly frustrated they didn't try to redraw both these districts into conservative districts, um, which would have been very difficult. Um, they, there, there was a chance they could have done it um, and, and passed legal muster and maybe drawn districts competitive enough for Republicans to win um, in this coming election cycle, maybe even 2024. But the fear from map makers was that it would lose those districts, both those districts deeper into the decade, much like they lost both those districts um, deep into the last decade. Um, so what they did, I think you're, I, I agree with you, when they redrew the the, the sixth district, which which used to be the sort of North Atlanta suburbs, they redrew it to basically be kind of an arrow going from Sandy Springs all the way up to Dawson County. I mean, it ends closer to the Tennessee state line than it does the Atlanta city borders. So um, that used to be a suburban district. Now it's still going to be primarily suburban, but it's also mixed with exurbs and uh, and rural Georgia. And yeah, this this to me was drawn to be safe Republican until 2030. And you know, me, me and you both went up there um, last week just to interview some voters and. Um, they were already gearing up to run against Lucy McBath. Yes, absolutely. And when you and I um, were driving up there, um, I really went up there just to see, like, just how different are we talking here? What's what's really going to be um, new for Lucy McBath if she stays in this territory? And you go from uh, Sandy Springs and Dunwoody, just, you know, with office buildings, um, Paneras, all of the mm-hmm. things that are that we see in uh, suburban strongholds, um, just really densely populated, um, quite urban in a lot of ways, very very diverse, young, professional. Um, And then you get up pretty quickly into Dawson County and there are uh, gun stores, um, a lot of Trump signs. Um, It's just totally different territory. And it was very hard to envision losing McBath, choosing to, or even wanting to um, run in that district the way that it was redrawn. Um, it opens up a huge opportunity for Republicans. And I think we're going to see, uh, you know, speaking of primary fights, we're going to see a lot of Republicans battling it out for that sixth district, because that's always been just sort of the crown mm-hmm. jewel for Republicans in Georgia. That was Newt Gingrich's territory during the Republican Revolution. And it was Johnny Isaacson's seat before he joined the Senate. It was Tom Price before he joined the Trump administration. So it's just been such a launching pad for Republicans. We, I think you and I have both felt that sort of emotional attachment that Republicans were upset that they did not hold the sixth anymore. And so they've really taken steps to change that. Yeah. And it was drawn to be basically a, what is it? 25, 26 point swing. Um, it yeah. went from a plus 12, plus 11, plus 12 democratic seat to a, uh, a plus 15 Republican seat. So that is attracting, and I'm bad with math, but that is attracting <laughs> a lot more Republican interest. Um, already you had Jake Evans, a former state ethics uh, official, and Megan Myers Hansen, a former state Republican lawmaker in the race. 
Uh, and now you're going to get a lot more interest. We're, we're expecting Rich McCormick, who lost to Carolyn Bordeaux in, in the last cycle over in the seventh. We're expecting him to flip districts. And there could be others who join as well, uh, namely State Senator Brandon Beach, um, who is trying to get Donald Trump's endorsement. Um, so that race is going to be transformed just like the seventh district race is. And that will be a race to the right. But but I think the the, the seventh district is going to get so much more attention in a sense because it is these two Democratic rising stars, and there is a contrast. And, and we talked to Lucy McBath shortly before her decision, um, where she she did not use, she did not say Carolyn Bordeaux's name, but she did say, I never wavered on President Joe Biden's agenda. And we know what that's a that's a shot out because we because Carolyn Bordeaux, as we mentioned, joined a group of about 10 other centrists to initially push back on the timing of of House votes on Biden's plans because they wanted uh, the infrastructure bill to be passed before uh, the the more far-ranging social spending bill. And they ended up relenting, but it really ticked off a lot of Democrats and liberals in not just in the 7th District, but around the state. And we saw groups aligned with Stacey Abrams and other very prominent, influential, left-leaning groups all sort of kind of put hashtags out there and really fire up the uh, the opposition to Carolyn Bordeaux and really raise the pressure against her. Yeah, and I think that's really the nature of the primary that we're going to see when these women start to to run a, run against each other. Um, and one other name uh, that I'll uh, throw in the mix: um, there's another state house representative who's decided to get into that race, who has mm -hmm. said that she, um, you know, likes Lucy McBath, thinks she's a nice lady, um, but that Lucy McBath has no clue what's been going on in Gwinnett County. Those were her words, not mine. Um, and then also said that Carolyn Bordeaux. Um, didn't fight for uh, democratic priorities the way that she should have. So we'll have a very heated, uh, spirited um, primary in there already, and it's just barely getting off the ground. Yeah, and that's Donna McLeod, and um, she's a uh, she's a Gwinnett State Democratic representative who who I think sought both of us out right after the session to make sure that we saw her tweet that she was getting in. Um, so she is she she was deciding to get in. She knew that Lucy McBath would probably run. Um, and even after Lucy McBath announced her decision, she got in. But I will say, you know, these things can change. I'm not saying that that that, um, that Representative McLeod will, will change her mind, but a lot can happen between now and qualifying. And I know for a fact there'll be a lot of pressure on Carolyn Bordeaux in particular um, to drop out of the race. Uh, there, they, there might be offers of administration jobs or other incentives um, for her um, not to run in the seventh district. And frankly, there will also be pressure or, uh, on her to seek out a, a statewide job. You know, there might be some pressure on her to run for lieutenant governor, or, or there might be her supporters saying, "Hey, you have a clearer shot at with with her background um, and her familiarity with the Georgia Senate, having worked as a uh, uh, as a budget official." Um, to run for lieutenant governor, which is still a pretty wide open field for Democrats, um, rather than take on Lucy McBath in a primary. Um, because really now the narrative shifts a little bit, right? I mean, we've been writing and talking so much about the Trump versus pro, you know, the pro-Trump factions uh, versus the, you know, not as pro-Trump factions in Georgia and the Trump-driven conflict in the Republican Party. Well, now Republicans have sort of a counter narrative to point to and say, hey, Democrats are fighting too. And look, just in the suburbs, there's the some the centrist versus the liberals. There you go. 
And that's not really what Democrats want going into this cycle. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think Democrats are just already getting uncomfortable at the thought of having to um, put resources into a primary campaign um, with two sitting House members running against each other. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to watch that or see that. Um, and But it'll be a question of really what these two women want to do. Um, Lucy McBath's team has said she wants to be working on gun safety legislation and her other priorities at the federal level. And that is that means I want to be in the House and I'm yes. staying in the House. Um, I talked to Carolyn Bordeaux yesterday and she said she's just not backing down. And if anybody should be looking for another job or another line of work, maybe it should be Lucy McBath. <laughs> you know, so um, I think she is wondering why she's the one who needs to step down if she was the one who um, had been representing the seventh in the first place. Um, again, these are two really fast rising stars, but in a democratic primary, you're just going to have a more uh, progressive and liberal electorate. I think that Lucy McBath's gun safety message is going to be really appealing to that group um, and a lot of the other ways that she articulates her democratic priorities. Um, and uh, Bordeaux has been uh, maybe a better fit for the way the seventh was before, but we'll have to see what voters um, say now in the seventh. Uh, Bordeaux rolled out a whole long list of endorsements yesterday of Democrats who are choosing her over mm -hmm. McBath. Those are um, state Democratic reps in her district right now in Gwinnett County. Um, a lot of mayors, uh, sitting councilmen, and um, people that she says uh, know the kind of work that she's done on the ground for the district, um, kind of outside of the spotlight um, where she seems to prefer to work. Yeah. And um, not only is it much more liberal district now, the 7th district, but it's also much more diverse um, it's about two thirds um, uh, people of color, and of course, you know that that could benefit Lucy McBath, who uh, is a black congresswoman, um, and, and Carolyn Bordeaux, of course, is white, um, and so that will play into that could play into this race as well. As could one other really interesting quirk is neither of them live in the district now. Um, you, you of course know that Lucy McBath doesn't live in the district; she lived over in East Cobb. Um, but Carolyn Bordeaux was narrowly drawn out of the district as well. It doesn't matter. They can still legally run for um, U.S. House seats from wherever they live in Georgia. Uh, and we have several other <laughs> incumbents who are either drawn out of their district or never lived in their district in the first place. Um, but but that gives Lucy McBath a little bit of um, a, a different narrative spin because she can say, hey, it's a new district and no one – there is – she can try to say that there is no incumbent because neither of them live in that in that new territory. That's exactly right. Um, so they are both going to have that. That'll be one area of agreement <laughs> for yeah. both of them. Um, and it's something that they, uh, there's no legal requirement that they have to live in their district, of course, but it's nice to do that. It's nice to be able to say you live um, where you're voting and uh, really a part of the community uh, that you'll be representing in Congress. So it's uh, very helpful for messaging. It's helpful for uh, traffic getting in and around Gwinnett County if you live closer to where uh, your office <laughs> is. Um, anybody knows that out there. Um, so we'll have to really see. I'll be really curious to see what Gwinnett voters do with this matchup. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll talk about some of the other redistricting angles for Republicans when we get back. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. 
follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. I'm Greg Bluestein, your host with Patricia Murphy, political insider columnist. And we, along with our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell, collaborate every morning on the Jolt newsletter, the most complete tip sheet you can find on Georgia politics. It is one of the many, many, many benefits you get if you subscribe <laughs> to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So, Patricia, on the Jolt, we have been writing a lot about the Republican side of the equation and not just the competitive races like the 6th District race we talked about that is becoming a, a hotbed of, of competition for the GOP, but also some safe Republican uh, seats. And uh, you led the jolt on Wednesday with some complaints from our two North Georgia Republican uh, incumbents who are still in very, 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 very safe seats, um, but their districts have been tailored enough to, to, uh, to cause them some discomfort. Let's start with Andrew Clyde. He is the freshman Republican won a seat in 2020, um, pretty competitive primary. Um, he took Doug Collins' old seat based in Gainesville in Northeast Georgia. Well, his territory has been redrawn and he no longer lives in it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, they. Um, uh, he lives uh, closer to Athens and the Athens uh, portion of that district, the sort of Athens metro area was drawn into the 10th district. And Andrew Clyde, not so happy with that in general, just uh, basically went on, took to Facebook and said, hey, Republican leaders are, 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 are trying to put the squeeze on me. Um, so it shows you again that, that, that entrenched Republicans can still kind of fight with each other over, over redistricting. Oh, for sure. And uh, these uh, two House members, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde, I mean, they just absolutely ripped the GOP leaders about this process and said that it was political retribution for conservatives. Um, now, uh, the leaders of the uh, House, at least, have said, hey, all the conservatives in um, the state Senate and state House voted for these maps, with the exception of two Republicans who voted against them uh, because their own districts uh, took a hit as well. Um, so uh, the Republicans, uh, the leaders of the parties who drew the maps and did the process have been have just been pounding over and over. These are legal maps, they're saying. These are fair maps, and these comport with the Voting Rights Act. Um now they never did say it's not political retribution, but uh, but that's neither here nor there. They really stand by these maps. And um, Green and Clyde are though are not products of of the state house and senate. They do not have long deep ties at the Georgia state capitol. So I wasn't overly surprised to see both of them get districts <clears throat> that they weren't too excited about. Yeah, and and Marjorie Taylor Green in particular is no is no. Um no favorite of the Republican establishment. I think I'm, I'm, I'm safe saying that. And a lot of people ask me and you, hey, are there, you think Republicans will try to draw her out of her district or, or, or make it a lot more competitive? And, and no, there's really, there was really no thought from what I heard of trying to draw her out of her district. Because of course, um, 
Marjorie Taylor Greene represents Northwest Georgia in, in Congress, and she never lived there in the first place. She actually lived in the metro Atlanta suburbs and originally uh, was running to compete against Luce and McBath. And then when that seat came open, decided to move up to Rome, Georgia, and brought her already existing campaign operations from the suburbs to rural Georgia and still won. So basically, that was the implicit signal to Republicans that, hey, even if they try to redraw her or draw her in with someone else, she would still, she still has that sort of, you know, ability to win no matter what, even if she is labeled a, a quote unquote carpetbagger or anything like that. But um, what was interesting to me was Republicans made things a little bit more uncomfortable for, for, for one of their own um, because, you know, just like they drew Andrew Clyde out of their district, out of his district over in, in, the, in the ninth, and he's still going to run, um, in the 14th, um, it's still a very solidly Republican district, but it's kind of shaped like the, like a, a giant C that hooks around um, uh, the exurbs of Bartow County. And at the very tail end of that hook, it takes up a little appendage, kind of a little tail of deep, deep blue South Cobb County, um, one of the most diverse and democratic parts of, of the Atlanta suburbs. And um, the folks there aren't happy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't happy. Uh, State State Representative David Wilkerson, who represents that area as Democrat in the legislature, said about the only people that are happy are the people behind closed doors who drew that map. Yes. Well, I actually got a, um, we have a statement from Speaker Ralston this morning responding to Green and Clyde um, and really pushing back on that characterization that these were done behind closed doors. And that's uh, uh, something that they have said is not accurate because they have had a number of redistricting meetings, public meetings. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure how much of that really was incorporated into these maps. Um, But I'll tell you what Speaker Ralston said. He said, a few folks have so lost sight of the greater good that they wouldn't know it if it hit them like a Jordan Davis sack. Um, so that is his, uh, that's his response. And what Republicans Ever will tell the you. football fan. I love it. Yeah. I, I'm like, is that like a bag? <laughs> I don't know what a Jordan Davis sack is. Um, but Republicans will say, and this is accurate, um, there were so many specific requirements behind these maps, including not to have them be um overly partisan. There are laws within or portions within the Voting Rights Act. You cannot overly condense um, minority populations to the point that they are underrepresented in Congress. Um, You have to, you cannot have a derivation of um, the numbers of uh, voters in these districts um, by about, I think it's about a single person. So they have to even out exactly. Um, they have to have um, certain minority representations, certain partisan representation. Um, again, the Democrats say, I mean, excuse me, the Republicans say they did it fair and square. Um, but fair and square really does leave, uh, you know, some Republicans still unhappy. And in Green and Clyde, you've got two Republicans happy to complain vocally about Republican leadership that they can cast as the establishment and just out to get them because they're so conservative. So Patricia, just a sidebar here. You just talked about Jordan Davis. You went to the Georgia game uh, this past Saturday. You got to see, maybe you didn't even realize what you got to see. You got to see Jordan Davis score a touchdown, (laughs) which which as a defensive lineman is an unbelievable, um, they put him in, in an offensive package and he got, he got, he scored a touchdown um, and is a Heisman potential Heisman candidate. 
we, we in Georgia think he should win the Heisman. So that's who Jordan Davis is. And of course, Speaker Ralston is an, is a huge Braves fan and a huge Georgia fan. So, uh, it was one of those references that, um, <laughs> that was, that was meant to hammer home. I literally to the thought it was like a sack of flour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see Jay is ready to like. Just I, I, I need to. I need to chime in here. I'm pretty sure that is the first time Jordan Davis and sack of flour have been used in the same sentence. I had a great time at the Georgia game, by the way, and I knew they were winning. That was obvious, and I, I'm sure Jordan Davis and his sacks had a lot to do with it. And uh, that game was over. Well, I don't know about one minute in. Um, I missed it, but it, 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 uh, I even missed it on TV because it really didn't air on any of our normal networks. Um, but I certainly watched it online. Well, on that note, happy Thanksgiving. We're going to get out of here um, to enjoy our families and all the rest of the fun uh, coming up. But Patricia, thank you so much. And for Thanksgiving, I'd like to thank you and Jay Black for working so hard on reviving Politically Georgia podcast. It's been great. It's been a, a, a great joy uh, to work with you guys each week. Oh, great. Well, thanks to you, Greg, and to Jay for putting this podcast together and let me letting me come on as a special guest star sometimes. Um, thank you to my daughter, Harper, who has been so extra quiet during this taping. I really appreciate it. She's Lucky. hungry for breakfast, so I'm going to make her some breakfast in a minute here. And thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. We could not do any of this without you guys. I just want to thank Charlie for being quiet during this show. Yeah, I don't know where Charlie is, but both my kids are here too. And just as you were thinking, Harper, my 10-year-old, uh, about to turn 11, comes down and starts making faces at me. So she was ready to – and there she is again. She was ready to annoy me. Uh, I have, I'll give you permission to tell your 10-year-old to say something as we wrap up the show. You want to say something? It's about to your birthday. No, now she's walking away. Oh, Harper, what? do you want to say something on the podcast? No, another no. Okay, wow. we have two non-future podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And look, guys, thank you again. I will echo Patricia in thanking our listeners. And if you missed it earlier this week on this feed, please go back and listen to our Race for City Hall episode. I joined City Hall reporters J.D. Capilouto and Will Nobles to take a look at why Andre Dickens has moved out in front in our latest poll of the mayoral runoff, plus what the candidates had to say in our one-on-one -on -one interviews from the AJC newsroom. Rate, review, follow, share, subscribe. Give us feedback about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you. Have a restful and thankful Thanksgiving holiday. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.